0: Anyone who's paid attention knows dogs have long been used to spare the limbs and lives of combatants in war. But did you know a cat was recruited to spy for the CIA during the Cold War? How about what led President Roosevelt to approve the development of a bat bomb to be used against the Japanese in World War II? And how were... Dolphins trained to seek out enemy divers in Vietnam. I'm Oliver North, and in this War Stories podcast, you'll learn all this and more. From antiquity to present day, animal warriors have braved enemy fire to keep troops safe. You'll hear from a 103-year-old World War I cavalryman and a Vietnam veteran who wouldn't have lived if it weren't for his war dog, Kelly. We'll also take you inside behavioral training for animals that most wouldn't even believe to be trainable. And we'll take you through some War Dog training at Lackland Air Base, where four-legged warriors learn how to sniff out everything
1: from drugs to explosives. Come on with us as War Stories goes to the dogs. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within one day. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash strive. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash strive. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com
0: if the dog is man's best friend, then these dogs behind me are certainly the best friend a soldier, sailor, airman, or marine could ever have. I'm Oliver North, and welcome to War Stories. We're at the kennels at the Marine Base of Quantico, Virginia. And these four-legged, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ferocious Marines are war dogs. Dogs just like them have been used by armed forces all over the world and have been for centuries as scouts, guards, messengers, even as rescuers. And dogs aren't the only animals that have been used in combat or for espionage. The role of the war horse or courier pigeon is well known. How about dolphins, bats, even cats? As you'll see tonight, Throughout history, man has tried to harness the natural instincts, endurance, and survival characteristics of animals for war. Some worked out better than others, but none have ever worked out any better than the dog. In the fierce heat of combat, dogs were a common sight in history's bloody battlefields, and one valiant dog became a Greek legend as early as 431 B.C.
2: The Greeks were attacking a uh, Corinthian uh, citadel, and the citadel was surrounded by uh, 50 dogs, and uh, somehow the Greeks managed to kill all of the dogs except one whose name supposedly is uh, Sorter. And this one dog uh, got away, ran back to the citadel, and uh, warned the Corinthians about the approaching uh, Greeks and supposedly saved the city.
0: ROBERT LUBO IS AN EXPERIMENTAL PSYCHOLOGIST who STUDIED AND TRAINED ANIMALS FOR THE MILITARY SINCE 1965. HE'S AN EXPERT ON THEIR ROLE IN WARFARE. THE
2: EARLIEST USE, ONE CAN FIND EXAMPLES IN THE BIBLE, uh, NOAH SENT THE uh, DOVE OUT, AND THE DOVE CAME BACK uh, CARRYING AN OLIVE LEAF, AND uh, THIS WAS SIGNED THAT uh, THE WATERS HAD STARTED TO recede. AND uh, IF YOU WANT TO LOOK AT THAT AS A MILITARY uh, APPLICATION, ONE CAN.
0: But it was the horse that became the real first animal weapon of war, says animal behaviorist Bob
3: Bailey. The horse was the real heavy armor of the day. The people that had horses had the power. There's a lot of cultures that were wiped out by those who made the change, uh, combining the horse and the wheel. Such technology seems simple today, but in its day... You're talking about a 2,000-pound animal pulling this, this wagon that moved with such great speed and just ran over everything in front of it.
0: By using a horse and chariot, the Egyptians went from subjects to conquerors by 1540 B.C., And the Romans took it a step further. A thousand years later, they used the horse not only for battle, but for spectacles and hippodromes.
3: And when you combine that with the advent of uh, iron and steel, well, the Romans dominated the world.
0: But astride a warrior horse, a Greek would begin to rule the world in 334 B.C. Alexander became great with his stallion, Bucephalus, and led a cavalry of nearly 7,000 strong to conquer ancient Persia. And when his beloved horse died of battle wounds, Alexander named a city after him. In 218 BC, Carthaginian General Hannibal used 37 elephants to cross the Italian Alps. It remains one of the most remarkable feats in military history. But it was the horse that dominated warfare for the next thousand years. The dogs were also there as sentries, messengers, and his companions, and joining them on the battlefield was the lowly Pigeon.
2: They were used essentially as messengers uh, to send uh, messages of victory, messages of defeat, uh, calls for help, and uh, they were very, very effective. When Napoleon was defeated
0: at Waterloo in June of 1815, it was the Pigeon that brought back the news. But the camel held an edge over the horse in desert warfare in the 1860s. In America, the horse again proved its worth in the bloody Civil War. Robert Patton, grandson of World War II
4: General George Patton, is an acclaimed author and military historian. The horse cavalry in the United States military probably reached its peak in the Civil War, and one thinks of of some of the people that we all know of, George Armstrong Custer on the north side, uh, Jeb Stuart on the southern side, there's a kind of literal rising above the muck of the battlefield simply by being on horseback that I think gives cavalrymen, rightly or wrongly, a sense of glory and romance in a tradition of military history.
0: You're looking at pictures from World War I. Mules and horses straining to move heavy equipment mired in mud. Dogs laid
4: telegraph wire. It was
0: a time of chemical warfare and gas masks from man and
4: beast. Cavalry were the impact group. They were the ones that blew open the enemy lines. These were the, the forces that attacked and had the, the banners in, in flashing in the sunlight.
0: 103-year-old Abe Kaler from Indiana was part of the dauntless American Cavalry in World War I. He signed up for duty in
5: 1915. I lied to get in, I was 16, told him I was 18. I'll never forget what the guy told me. He says, Kaler, he says if you if you're lying about your age, he says they're going to put you on a rock pile in Livermore." I said, "What the hell would they think of this country? They backed out of the war." They said, "All right, get the hell in there." I went.
0: Kaler and his horse Dusty went to the Panama Canal as part of the 12th U.S. Cavalry,
5: Troop D. You didn't look after Dusty. You had to walk. And walking was something that a cavalryman didn't do.
0: Then Private First Class Kaler remembers his first encounter with a menacing Panamanian jungle.
5: I got the hell scared out of me. I was on guard the, the first night. It was just a solid wall of uh, jungle. And i walk up to that one place, and I, at the very edge of this, this query, and it seemed like something was there. Would always say who? That scared the living hell out of the kids from Indiana that hadn't been away from home in life.
0: Twelve thousand miles away in the Western Front, Allied infantrymen were busy fighting the Great War in the mud-soaked trenches of Europe, and the horse was becoming
4: obsolete. Well, horses in World War One were on the edge of being inadequate, certainly, and um, uh, an outright joke. Sending cavalry ranks against machine guns and entrenched infantrymen was only suicide. And that is one of the reasons why tanks were developed. The Nazis were um, launching armored columns in in Blitzkrieg. Uh, The United States Army was still training with horse cavalry and as a result had a lot of catching up to do in the very, very first months of World War II but we'd use the horse again on the battlefield 60 years later
0: in Afghanistan. Marine war dogs take a bite out of the Japanese. That's next on War Stories.
6: Made necessary by wartime shortage.
0: It was a time of struggle and sacrifice in 1943. I didn't want to go in the Army uh, Veterinary Corps.
6: I wanted to go where the action was, and uh, the Marine Corps sounded like they might have some.
0: 23 year old Bill Putney left his Virginia farm to join the U.S. Marines. But as a licensed veterinarian, he found himself assigned to something new the Dog Corps. He became the commanding officer of the 3rd War Dog Platoon. So you get orders to Camp Lejeune as an infantry officer. As an infantry officer. To teach infantry tactics. Yes. To war dogs and their handlers. That's correct. Tell me about the dogs. Where'd you get them?
6: The first 40 dogs we got came from the Army Dog Training School in Fort Robinson, Nebraska. The other dogs, most of them were Doberman Pinchers because the Doberman Pinscher Club of America said they would recruit all the dogs that the Marine Corps needed. We still, however, did take dogs from individuals are going to enlist them in the Corps. They didn't give them to us. We promised to give them back when the war was over.
0: The dogs were actually
7: on loan. To on the loan.
6: They had record books just like the men. They had ranks. They had serial numbers. And every time something happened, good, bad indifferent, they went in the record book.
0: The dogs had to pass rigorous physical and psychological exams. Tests included obstacle courses, mind detection, and training with live ammunition.
6: And if anything would preclude them being a, a Marine, uh, they were rejected. We decided to train dogs for mines because the Japanese were beginning to use uh, mines with a lot of ceramic stuff in them. And we had little steel traps about so big, you could stick your finger in it and it wouldn't hurt. So we'd take the dog down the trail, and the dog could see it. The handler made sure he put his foot in it. And when he put his foot in it, because it clamped on his foot. And then to do that two or three times, and the dog would begin to look for it. Step in it two or more, three more times, and then they begin to smell for it.
0: How did you pick the dog handlers, the Marines that are going to be with them?
6: We probably picked them the same way they do. Some gunnery sergeant down in Paris Island pointed his swag stick
0: and said, You go into the dogs. After training, each dog was worth an estimated $50,000. On a cold November day in 1943, Dr. Bill Putney, with 74 dogs and 110 men, left Camp Lejeune and traveled 3,000 miles by train to California's Camp Pendleton. Many of the tough Marines, especially the elite raiders, weren't very pleased. What did those guys think about the war dogs?
6: They didn't think much of us. They didn't want a bunch of dog people in that camp. Until one night, and, and a cold gunner sergeant had told my sergeant, he said, you know, the raiders and the paratroopers raid each other, scamps and steal stuff. And so my sergeant says, well, let's uh, have our people walk in their posts with their dogs. The uh, paratroopers got inside of our camp. The sergeant blew his whistle, and all the, the guys ran to get away from the dogs, and they'd meet a German shepherd or a Pinscher pitcher standing up on his hind legs and howling and, and screaming. And from that day on... The uh, Raiders thought we were heroes.
0: They were proud of us. March 1944, the 3rd War Dog Platoon shipped out of San Diego Harbor in a rickety Old Navy transport, the USS Skinner. We didn't
6: know where specifically. We we knew we were going to Pacific and we knew we were going to the jungle
0: because that's what we were training for. Tell us about the transit across. People get seasick. Do dogs get seasick?
6: Dogs got seasick, but they got over it sooner than we did, and I have a confession. The ship was rolling and rocking and rolling and rocking and I went to the porthole to throw up (laughs) and we were still tied to the docks.
0: For 57 days the dogs and their handlers made an agonizingly slow trip across 6,000 miles of ocean. One dog died of the heat. The salt water was tough on the dog's paws. If
6: the dog's feet stay wet, like the same as you and I, it's going to get infected because the natural oils are going to break down. And that's when we discovered our first use of condoms. We discovered found that if we put powder between the toes and cotton and wrapped them with cotton, and then put on a condom and wrap them again, that the, the water couldn't get in.
0: Finally, the USS Skinner reached Guadalcanal. By now, it was in US hands and a staging area for the upcoming invasion of Japan. At 0600 on the 21st of July, 1944, the 3rd Marine Division hit the beach and the fierce battle for Guam was on. The 3rd War Dog Platoon came ashore and plunged into the dense jungle to ferret out the Japanese. You could just walk behind with no fear at all. What was the bravest thing you ever saw a dog do?
6: We well, had a dog by the name of Rocky. Rocky was a real man, very, very alert, very devoted to his handler. And uh, so Goff took his handler took Rocky and walked down the uh, trail. The dog alerted and jumped into the bush, and the cough went in behind him and saw a pair of spectacles hanging on a bush. And he said, I knew that wasn't right, so he started firing. He killed four Japanese and was pairing a Japanese officer with his sword when the rest of the patrol got down there. And Rocky had one of them, like, this right down on the ground, just standing right over.
0: 25 gallant dogs gave their lives helping to liberate Guam from the Japanese. Here are some of those heroes Bunky, Missy, Kurt, and Skipper. Bill Putney wrote this book, Always Faithful in Their Honor. I'll tell you right now, all of them were good. They were unbelievably good, magnificent. Putney earned a silver star, but he never forgot his four-legged warriors, and in 1994, 50 years after the invasion, he saw to it that this memorial in Guam was built for the dogs who so valiantly served as Marines. Why did FDR approve the idea of a bat bomb? That's next on War Stories. months after the attacks at Pearl Harbor, America was thirsting for revenge. Ideas and letters poured into FDR's White House. One came from a friend of Eleanor's, Dr. Lytle Adams, who was a colorful 59-year-old inventor from Irwin, Pennsylvania, who suggested using bats to bomb the Japanese. FDR thought it was a good idea and wrote this memo to OSS Director Bill Donovan. Quote, this man is not a nut. It sounds like a perfectly wild idea, but is worth your looking into.
8: I went from a zero to, uh, you know, Doc Adams telling me, oh, you're going to be an officer.
0: Denny Constantine was a California high school kid who loved bats. At 17, on a vacation in Carlsbad, New Mexico, he met Doc Adams, who
8: immediately asked him to join his top secret bat bomb crew. I was delighted that I might be of some use to suddenly realize that my services were desired by my country for its defense. Doc gave
0: his crew military uniforms with rankings they didn't have.
8: He managed to get uh, whatever it took uh, in the way of um, labeling and told them to get busy with a needle and thread. So they did. (laughs) It was mainly for cover to keep people... From asking questions. We don't ask questions around here. You know, a spy is a shot.
0: But the project was serious business and received a reported
8: $2 million in government support. It probably really blossomed when I visited Carlsbad Cavern and saw the uh, the bat flights and got to thinking about the, the possibility of attaching tiny incendiary bombs to individual bats, dropping by the thousands over enemy territory assuming they'd fan out and go on to various nooks and crannies and start jillions of fires in Japan, in this case, where most of the buildings would burn fairly readily.
0: The bat of choice was the Mexican free-tailed bat, which numbered in the millions and survived on insects.
8: Bats uh, are generally capable of, of packing pretty good loads. A lot of them have to carry their babies in flight. Each incendiary device was attached to individual bats by means of a string and a surgical clip, and the clip would be attached to loose skin of the chest of the bat. The bomb itself was in a plastic-like container containing essentially napalm, had an igniter attached to it, which would set it off. As soon as they'd hang up, the individual bats would have been free to escape because they'd chew the string attaching them to the tiny bomb.
0: A thousand bats were placed in these egg crate trays, giving each animal its own private cubbyhole. 26 layers of crates were then placed inside this bat
8: bombshell where the temperature was about 35 degrees. They could be easily transported by uh, chilling them down. So they'd go into a physiological state resembling hibernation. And then they could be warmed up when you're ready to use them.
0: This is what happened in a successful 1943 field test at the Carlsbad Army Airfield. At high altitude, a B-25 Mitchell bomber jettisoned a bombshell filled with 1,000 sleeping bats. At 4,000 feet, a pressure-sensitive parachute opened, slowing the bombshell's descent into warmer air. The bats awoke and flew into buildings where they dropped their tiny practice bombs of cornmeal.
8: This, as it proved uh, in time, would, would work.
0: The next day, the brass wanted to see a small demonstration with napalm. Six bats were loaded up with napalm capsules and chilled down. But when a camera flashed, all hell broke loose.
8: They assumed they could photograph them and they wouldn't take off flying. But they misjudged, and the bat suddenly warmed up and took off. And there were only several of them, but uh, they lost a few buildings, as I understand.
0: The bat set fire to the brand new base, as you can see from this photograph. It was both a high point and a low point for the project.
8: That dampened uh, the enthusiasm, (laughs) so talk about awkward situations.
0: Shortly thereafter, interest in developing bat bombs dwindled. We were now focused on developing the atomic bomb. Next on War Stories, the Cold War brings new enemies and new challenges, like training a cat to spy on the Russians. It was neither a time of war nor peace, but in the early 60s, the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States heated up. Each side spent billions spying on one another, and even animals had roles.
5: Russia established its
6: leadership in rocketry, successfully launching two Earth satellites, the second carrying a
2: dog. One always feels threatened if uh, someone knows your secrets and you don't know their secrets. It was... Tremendous fear on both sides that uh, what was a Cold War might become a hot war.
3: The Cold War, I think, accelerated a lot of the uh, information gathering, the research that was being done at the time, that we as a society, it seems, was more willing to spend money when we felt that there was a
0: threat. Twenty-six-year-old Bob Bailey was a civilian biologist when the Navy asked him to become its first director of dolphin training in 1962.
3: I had never trained a dolphin before in my entire life. I had never really been in the water with a dolphin before. Uh, I had touched a dolphin, but that's about it. In the late 1950s, the Navy found that
0: the Soviets had nuclear submarines that could outrun its Mark 44 torpedoes. Now they were interested in learning all they could about these intelligent and fast-moving mammals, which could swim up to 35 miles per hour.
3: I don't think it takes a lot of inspiration for the Navy to decide that it's worthwhile to study an uh, animal that has been in the ocean for 100 million years or so and has solved many of the problems associated with how do you echolocate, how do you find targets out there. Uh, One of the first things we did of course was measure the speed of dolphins through water and how much energy was expended.
0: The Navy hired legendary animal behaviorist Marion and Keller Breland from Hot Springs, Arkansas to teach Bob Bailey.
3: Like so many other trainers that I had thought I had some idea about how to train animals. But it wasn't until I watched the Breelands and their trainers in Hot Springs at work that I found out what training was really all about.
0: The Breelands were famous for their reward-based training, which, as you can see from these films, was applied to a variety of animals. The Breelands supported their 25-acre field laboratory and research with government contracts, commercial work,
6: If it's safety do you want
9: most? Post-federal savings
0: and popular animal shows.
3: But at Point Magoo,
0: California, the marine mammal program was
3: all business. My responsibilities as training director was to first uh, assure the, the proper care of all the marine mammals there at the facility. We trained our dolphins to do such things as slide up on shore so they could be examined, to roll over so you can listen to their heart rate. I had one project uh, having to do with the first open-ocean release of a dolphin.
0: The hydrodynamic efficiency of dolphins helped lead to the development of the Mark 46, a state-of-the-art torpedo still in use today.
3: It's the flexibility at certain points of the dolphin skin that allows it to move as fast as it did. And they actually developed some coatings for submarines that was flexible in much the same way as a dolphin skin is flexible.
0: And dolphins weren't the only animals used waging the Cold War.
3: They were our cats, and yes, we did that work for the Central Intelligence Agency. Whenever we would want to refer to it, we always called it the company.
0: You're looking at Project Acoustic Kitty in action. This training session was part of a 1966 CIA operation in which a cat with a surgically implanted transmitter could eavesdrop on, say, two Russians sitting on a park
3: bench. The point was, is that uh, they could go anywhere without being noticed, people did not pay attention to them. They could be trained to um, walk up and down streets, sit by park benches, and we did this in Hot Springs all of the time. We could hear what the cat heard because the cat was carrying inside of it a transmitter. The cat did not carry a microphone, the cat was the microphone. It was the first real use of something called the cochlear implant. That walking cat was the finest, most high fidelity microphone up to that time ever invented.
0: And after a day's training, the cats had their batteries recharged.
3: Every night after we worked with the cats, they were wrapped with a little harness. And essentially, we charged our kitties every night.
0: But during Acoustic Kitty's first live field test, the cat got run over by a taxi. In this heavily redacted CIA document declassified in 1983, the agency decided that, quote, the program would not lend itself in a practical sense to our highly specialized needs, end quote. Coming up, a new generation of war dogs and their handlers learn jungle warfare, this time for a place called Vietnam. 1970, the Vietnam War raged into its eighth year and the animal warriors were there. Near Bong Son, South Vietnam, 20-year-old Army Private First Class Johnny Mayo was mourning the death of Tiger, his mind-detecting war dog. What happened to Tiger, John?
10: It was only second or third mission. We were walking a, a fairly dense uh, undergrowth area, like a hedgerow's. He worked left, and like he was trying to crawl under a limb. All of a sudden, there was just a large explosion. He's probably no more than eight, 10 inches from me. And his eyes are looking into mine. It's like he was telling me that this is his first all these months of training, but you know, is this what it's about? And uh, it looked on his side that there might've been a slightest, a little bit of straddle. The vet tech checked him out, uh, looked to be okay. He quit eating about, about three or four days later and they uh, they operated on on him on um, Friday morning, and he died that night. What, what happens to a scout dog handler who's now lost a dog? My first sergeant said, "We've well, got a you know you've got an option. A couple dogs here, or you can go to Benoit and pick up a another dog." And one of our dog handlers had got our rear area job, like a truck driver, a supply clerk. So his dog was available, and that dog was Kelly. Kelly had a reputation as a combat vet. Yeah. Broke a bunch of ambushes. Yes, sir. I mean, he was 100% on everything. January 29th,
0: 1971, the call goes out for two dog teams to join two rifle companies from the 173rd Airborne. Mayo and Kelly choppered into a hot LZ with Dennis Brown and Axel. A few hours after they touched down, Axel was killed by a tripwire. Mayo and Kelly were now working alone.
10: Kelly's alerting everywhere just like a bird dog pointing on a bird. You know, they get locked, um, almost become a statue. I'm telling my slight man, this is big. The real thing? Yes. You know, the first explosion was to our right towards the ridge line. The second explosion was to our left. And one of the uh, infantrymen jumps up. He says, that's a damn mortars. At that point, we hear the sound that a mortar makes when it's dropped in the tube. You can hear a, a thud. You're bracketed by enemy mortar fire in a rice paddy. What happens to you and Kelly? As soon as it hit, we're up and running again. All I'm doing at this point, I'm just following the two guys in front of me. Up ahead of us, at the edge of the rice paddy, was a, uh, a high area, high ground area. Only thing that went through my mind at the time, I'd rather be down here in the, the muck, in the water, than hitting the ridge line when this next one hits.
0: But Kelly had other ideas and didn't want to stay
10: where they were. Kelly went out to the end of the leash, then got to the top. You know, the bank was about just like a 45-degree angle, probably like five or six feet above where I was. I yelled at him, I cussed at him, I c- tried to call him back, even got to the point where he stood up on his hind legs. He's not coming back, so just in an instant, I just jump up, I scramble up the clay bank, and then that mortar round hits. Right where were you been? Kelly somehow knew you weren't going to be safe if you stayed there. I've been thinking about that for 32 years. I have no idea why he did what he did. But well, there's no doubt in your mind you're alive today because Kelly did what he did Yes, yes. No doubt that so many troops, especially infantrymen, are alive today that never really knew that they might be here because of that scout dog, and they saved so many, so many lives. Some 4,000
0: war dogs served in Vietnam and saved an estimated 10,000 lives, and they weren't alone. 1970. For the first time, five dolphins from the Navy's marine mammal program were deployed to deal with North Vietnamese divers who were sneaking into Camran Bay at night and wreaking havoc.
9: The ammo pier in Cam Ranh Bay in Vietnam uh, was destroyed by enemy divers with a tremendous loss of life. It showed pretty clearly that there was a vulnerability because a, a great deal of the military arms that went into Vietnam came through Cam Ranh Bay.
0: Then, only 25 years old, John Hall was a civilian marine biologist who was put on a fast track training dolphins for the Navy's swimmer program. The goal? Teach the animals to intercept enemy divers.
9: You put a person in the water, and the trainer then sends the dolphin over to the person. And the person holds out a hand, and the dolphin touches it. And within a few trials, the dolphin understands, okay, when I get the cue, whatever that might be, it might be an underwater sound, it might be a visual signal, whatever it is. When I get the cue, I'm supposed to swim across and touch this person. You drop a person in the water 100 yards away, splashing, noisy. And you ask the dolphin, is there a person in the water? And the dolphin comes over and presses, yes, there's a person in the water, receives a reward. So very quickly, the dolphin learns When no person is in the water, I press paddle number two, if you will. When a person is in the water, I press paddle number one. You start to put in divers coming from two or three thousand yards away, wearing closed circuit breathing gear where there are no bubbles, there's no sound, they're moving close to a muddy bottom that has a very poor sonar return. Now it becomes much more of a challenge for the dolphin to detect that person, but they do it.
0: The dolphins were fitted with hard fiberglass cups on
9: their noses. It had a dart in one end and a mechanism with a spool that would release and a strobe light in the cup.
0: In tests, enemy divers were literally tagged on the backside.
9: So the strobe light was flashing and it was like a fishing bobber, if you will. Uh, And then other Navy guys in their fast boats could come out and and, uh, try and recover the diver. I was one of the, if you will, the crash test dummies when a 200-pound man gets bumped by a 400-pound dolphin, it's a bump. And we quickly learned that, that getting bumped by a fiberglass cup left substantial bruises. It wasn't that the dolphins were angry by any means. It's just they're
0: big animals and they play rough. But playing rough worked. For the year the dolphins were in Cameron Bay, there were no attacks. But when they left in 1971, the pier was destroyed by an enemy diver. The Mammals were deployed for the second time in 1987, this time in the Persian Gulf, where they protected American command ships like the USS LaSalle. And during the 1996 Republican National Convention, dolphins were used to patrol San Diego Harbor for saboteurs. Coming up, we'll take you to Lackland Air Force Base, where all of today's war dogs go to boot camp. 0600 San Antonio, Texas. Work begins early for the dog handlers and the 550 dogs at the Department of Defense Military Working Dog School. Lieutenant Colonel John Probst has been both handler and instructor at the 341st Training Squadron at Lackland Air Force Base.
7: The Army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines get their dogs and their training and their handlers from us. This is the the dog you want on your team working. And since September
0: 11th, 2001, Lackland is also training dogs for the Office of Transportation
7: Security Administration. Oh, boy. It's no secret that everybody is much more interested now in security. We can come up with a device that will have the same kind of olfactory discrimination that a dog has, but it's, it's a big machine. It's an expensive machine. They can't be produced fast enough. They don't have the portability. Yet something so simple but loyal and hardworking as the dog uh, gives us a psychological deterrent just by their mere presence versus a machine. Over 110 days,
0: dogs are trained in either explosive or drug detection.
7: They have to be certified. Um, for drugs, they have to be 90% accurate, and for explosives, 95 for the obvious reasons.
0: MA2
9: Smith. Navy Smith. Now she's going to put the dog on alert. Now she's going to release the dog into a bite. This is a real good biting dog. So
7: She calls the dog off.
5: Stay. Stay. me!
9: She gave no command right there, but when the decoy... Did, any kind of threatening move towards the handler,
0: the dog
7: attacked.
0: Quentin's a Belgian Malinois. His breed has pretty much replaced the Doberman. Along with German Shepherds and Labs, today's war dogs are trained to move more easily from handler to handler. They all work for praise and a favorite toy. Next thing we're going to do is go over there and we're going to go into the building. And he's going
9: to search that building and find that suspect. And he's sniffing, he's sniffing for the bad guy right now. He's scratching at the door. He's saying, hey, he's in here. That's a cue for the handler and the decoy to give the dog a
0: bite. The dogs also face a loaded gun.
8: It won't fire an actual projectile anymore. It's it's like a high-tech cap gun.
3: They have to have more extensive weapons, M16s, 50-caliber machine guns, etc., etc. The dog has to show that he's
9: not aggressive towards the handler or the gun when the gun is fired. The dog's just
0: curious about it. There's no, no problem. Across the base, another class is underway using real explosives.
9: The average dog will take us about 60 days to train in explosives. He's at day two, as you can see, the way he was barking and really wanted to go for that ball. We'll end up pairing the reward with a different type of explosive, and pretty soon the dog is going to be going around, finding the explosives, and and he's going to have his ball, and his ball is basically his paycheck.
0: The drug dogs learn how to search luggage, By the end of the day, the handlers write up the reports on their dog's performance. But unlike their handlers, the dogs head home for dinner in air-conditioned comfort.
5: Each dog has its own amount. And it's very important that our folks uh, get those diets correctly so if a dog is needing some type of medication or a medicated diet, that we serve the right meal plus the amount.
7: It's a controversial issue. The dog is a piece of equipment. It has a federal stock number. But unlike any other piece of equipment, the care that that dog gets through the veterinary services far exceeds and is much different than the kind of care some mechanical pieces of equipment get. Okay, this is Dax, and this is a, basically a uh, vaccination appointment for him. He's going through his semiannual physical today. They're really an athlete, and we need to keep them in, in top condition. Our number one priority is for us to breed dogs and get puppies and raise these puppies and watch the puppies as they grow because these give us behavioral mile markers. The second goal is to make them into soldier puppies.
9: These uh, two young ladies, uh, Holly
10: and May, uh, have actually just had some litters. The Labrador Retrievers that we have here have actually been granted to us by the Australian government the ability to find Uh, hidden materials was actually a heritable trait in this breed. Stay tuned for more war stories
0: that's an order. Behind the scenes of the battlefield animals have also served as mascots They've been lucky charm companions keeping our troops company thousands of miles from home. Even old blood and guts had a little
4: furry friend. His grandson, Robert Patton, remembers. He bought the dog in what probably could be characterized as a down period in his career. Uh, He had been disciplined by Eisenhower for the slapping incident on Sicily in 1943. He had been left on the sidelines of the D-Day invasion, which irked him terribly, I'm sure that a dog at the end of the day that liked you was probably a nice thing to have, along with perhaps a a cocktail. And he named it um, appropriately, he thought, William the Conqueror, but when the dog proved to be quite a coward, he uh, shortened the name to Willie.
0: For nearly every famous or infamous person, there's usually a dog around. FDR had Fala. Hitler had Blondie. Ava Braun had two Scotties. Richard Nixon had Checkers. And LBJ loved his little Beagle Johnson. Even mongrels became heroes. Suchao managed to survive not only World War II's Battle of Corregidor, but also made it through a Japanese prisoner of war camp. And after the events of September 11th, 2001, we have new heroes. We've learned once again to respect dogs for what only they can do.
2: They love their human
7: counterparts and they'll do just about anything for us. The search and rescue dogs from around the country came to the call and, and did a heck of a job.
0: As a Marine, Semper Fidelis means always faithful, and so it is with man's best friend. From the very first time an animal like this crept up beside a human being to share warmth and food, an unbreakable bond was made. We also owe thanks to those who train these creatures great and small. They've helped keep our nation safe from those who would do us harm. Theirs is a war story that deserves to be told. I'm Oliver North for War Stories. Good night.